Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just like that, the final hour is here. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow across the Outkick Network. Hit us up on YouTube. We thank you if you're listening to this great radio partner. Chad, Merrill Hodge joins us in 20 minutes. Cannot wait. Same. Said it earlier, one of those guys, something about his voice. Talking football that just gets me going. Talking ball. Gets me excited. We'll be excited coming up in 20 minutes. Are you excited based on the vote of Major League Baseball players who gave their anonymous tip of the cap to the city of Nashville for expansion cities? Their favorite city that would be in line to be number one on the list for cities where Major League Baseball should be whenever the time comes that they do expand. The commissioner's talking so much about it, it's going to happen. Um Nashville's number one by a landslide, according to players. So I am surprised that it was such a landslide. Me too. At 16, it was only 100 players. You know, that's not, this is not overly scientific, but of the athletic survey, 100 players, 69 of them said Nashville would be the preferred destination, and Montreal was second. And it was light years behind. But I'm not. I'm not surprised based on the four cities because Vegas wasn't mentioned. Yeah. The others that have been Salt Lake. Help me here. There may be one more. It was more. Charlotte, Portland, were the other ones. Okay. And then on no, the Austin. Port- sorry, Austin, Austin, Texas. But for the survey, it wasn't Salt Lake, was it? Or was it? It was uh, the ones that I saw were Montreal, Montreal Nashville, Charlotte, Austin. Charlotte, Austin. Okay. So that that doesn't surprise me, but. Look, we live in Nashville. It's where our studio is here, downtown, every day, 6th and Peabody, Old Smokey and Yeehaw. Great time down here. Yes. Nashville, though, has reached the point where all it can be is overrated because it's so highly rated. I do think that we have reached the laws of diminishing returns in what the rest of America and the world think about Nashville. Maybe I'm a little blinded by it because we're here every day, so it's not as special to me or as cool. But when I see that almost 70% of Major League Baseball players polled wanted Nashville to be the next home for an expansion city, doesn't surprise me that it's the winner. Hutton, it does surprise me that's the overwhelming winner. Yeah, and Salt Lake was mentioned. It was just far, much further down the list uh, on their voting, um, what they but like. But everyone wants to come to Nashville. I mean, it really is and, and Manfred a, continues a hot to talk destination. About it. Yeah. But but, and first, I'm not just for teams. I'm saying just people in general – it's one of those, hey, I haven't been to Nashville or I've heard great things. I need to get to this city. It's been that way for 10 to 15 years now, I feel like. It's yeah. kind of been in that sweet spot, and it continues to be a hot place. I just don't know about the location. It needs to have a downtown footprint. I think the other cities may provide that just out of necessity to be a major league city, right? Yeah. Um, how much does that matter? I think it matters a lot here locally. And does it matter to the new owner? It should. Uh, but I don't think a team relocates here anymore. I think it's expansion. I think the or, best or period. Route, like Tampa's yeah. talking about building a new stadium now. Well, for any team, you know, any of these expansion teams or relocation, I always believe the optimum situation is like what you see in Pittsburgh with their ballpark. Downtown, great backdrop, great view, 
great arteries coming into yes. uh, coming into the stadium where people can walk, people can park in different parts of the town and then get to the stadium. That's always best. But what we've seen in places like Atlanta, which is a good 20 minutes from downtown Atlanta, in Truist Park, in, in Marietta, that's a great setup too. You've put a, a ballpark in the suburbs and built infrastructure around it. Yes. Where it's its own village. I think that could work in a place like well, Nashville, too. But they too. did that after they had a, a village suburb, that would move there and go to the You could go games. to a suburb like Brentwood or somewhere like that and build your own Major League Ballpark village around it and be very successful doing that in a city like Nashville. I don't know what the top suburbs are of Austin or Charlotte, but I could see a scenario where that happens those places, too. But again, to me, Hutton, ideally it is a Camden Yards – Yep. PNC Park type setup where it is in the city, downtown, on a body of water preferably, but it's right there and it's got its own little infrastructure around that area downtown, not where you're creating something somewhere else, but you do have success stories like what's happened with the Braves and Truist Park where attendance is sky high and everyone enjoys going to that area and just hanging out. We'll have uh, someone that's part of an ownership group of a, a group that's trying to bring Major League Baseball here to Nashville. Eddie George, head coach of the TSU Tigers, but also uh, a 10,000-yard club in the NFL, Heisman Trophy winner. You know his bio. He's a part of the Nashville Stars ownership group uh, that's attempting to lure, number one, a billionaire. They lack a billionaire. But after that, lure Major League Baseball here to the city. He'll be in studio with us tomorrow. Um, I would like a relocation for Shohei Otani. Personally, I think it's happening yet again, Jad. Unbelievable season. 24 homers, number two in the AL. No, number one in the AL, number two in, in MLB. What he's doing on the mound is exceptional. Best player we've ever seen. But we don't see him. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's insane to me how little we actually see of Otani because of the organization he's playing for. It's not his fault. It's just... The coverage, to me, should gravitate. It's a lot like Jokic in a, in a weird way. The coverage should gravitate to the best players, but the winning needs to happen in order for the coverage to dictate that the, the, the marquee primetime games are there. We've seen more of him this year, but still not enough. And he, he had the one-year deal that he agreed to with the Angels. They've openly said, like, they're number two right now in their division. As long as they're in playoff contention, they're not going to trade him this season. So, I am I mean, it sounds awful. I'm hoping that they're not in playoff contention by the time the deadline rolls around, or at least they view it that way, and they get a massive haul in exchange for any team on the East Coast or, or, or the Dodgers. Let's just say the Dodgers on the West Coast landing Otani. That would be dream come true for the average baseball fan, who wants to tune in and just watch watch a great player play. Angels are 41 and 34 right now, 7 games over 500. They're in the second wild card spot today. Now, today is late June. We got a long way to go before the trade deadline and before October when the Angels are trying to get to the playoffs for the first time. It's crazy. This is the 7th year for Otani with the Angels and they have not made the playoffs with Mike uh, Trout. Oh which is just ridiculous that that has not happened. They're in a playoff spot right now. If they continue on this pace, I don't think he will be dealt. 
The sad part of this for the Angels, though, is the assumption is he's gone the moment the season's over, that he will sign somewhere else. The Angels spend money. You know, they're a team that will spend and can spend. So it's not just a foregone conclusion he's gone, but it does feel that way. He could re-sign with the Angels. But who are the likely contenders for Otani at the end of the year or in a trade if they start to fall further behind the Rangers this year in the AL West? It's a couple West Coast teams. Yeah. Padres, Dodgers are probably top of the list, along with the Mets, who clearly will spend. So I, I'm with you, Hutton. I would rather see this guy either with uh, a Chicago Cubs or a New York Mets or a New York Yankees well, or some of the Boston Red Sox. I don't. I think some it, East Coast it team can literally be any East Coast. Just team. not a middling team. Not not the Angels. Yeah, the Dodgers would be more fun. I don't know that I'm getting that excited about Shohei Otani on the Padres. I mean, as a Braves fan, I'm not excited with him on the Mets, but at least that's in a huge market and an East Coast team that'll help us profile I, some. I'm curious to see what a team would trade away to get him. I mean, I who knows? Because he transcends anything we've seen on the, I on the trade I market. I do not know why, but I'm not a fan of these teams. I just feel like Otani in either Fenway Park or Wrigley Field would be really cool. Those would be my top two, just fantasy baseball, dream yeah. destinations. Otani being playing for the Red Sox or the Cubs. That would be awesome to me. Just oh. as a baseball fan, third-party observer, no dog in the hunt in those divisions or with but, those teams, that would be fun. But think about what he could mean to a franchise that has been through a drought. And then there's more than one. But what, what would he mean to Pittsburgh or Baltimore? Teams that are on the rise. Cincinnati. Young. Yeah, yes. Cincinnati I mean, just, uh, won their 11th straight game today, longest win streak since 1957. And they are in first place in the, the NL Central right now out of nowhere. But think of a team like that that's had a lot of success in the past and, that hasn't in a long time. And the But you know they're not going to spend. What is it going to be like when he hits free agency if they don't trade him? That's, now, that's would, the other – I mean, it is a free-for-all. Here's, here's the question, though. Dodgers, knowing, Mets, Giants. Knowing he's a free agent at the end of the year, if, if a Baltimore or a Cincinnati no. or someone having a great year, but if they did that – You would have to sign him to whatever uh, – No, you're but no, you're, you're mortgaging your future. Yeah. Here's, here would be the and, thought. And you wouldn't re-sign him because like you the have – Orioles, The Orioles still have a great farm system. They do. So they could mortgage their future with the young guys they have right now and trade away their top farm pieces – which they won't do. Bring in Otani just to say, damn it, we want to win the World Series right now. And that's it. We know this is our chance. We're going to lose these young guys to free agency. We know we can't re-sign Otani. This is a three-month rent-a-player. We want this dude for the last two months of the season, two and a half months, and for a playoff run. Would you be willing to accept that I mean, if you are? Now, granted, the, the, the play is we're going all in on a World Series right yeah, now. But, that, but you know you're not going to resign. They're not set up to do that because of the, the Angelos family currently uh, with the sons bickering over who's got control and who does and all that. Uh, and, and then you also have Cohen, who will pay whatever it takes to get him in a yeah. match uniform. Like that, That's the other. You're not trading for him if you think Cohen or other owners like that are just going to spend to spend because it's their hobby and not their business. I guess it could be both. But it's going to be something it's we've never toy. seen before. It's we've never toy. seen this before uh, on the landscape of 
There's no penalty. There's, there's a larger penalty, but it's not crippling on an owner as long as you've got the billions to back whatever financial penalty you pay for going over the cap as much as Cohen and others will do. Yeah. You know? Tyreek Hill uh, under investigation uh, yet again, and it, it's making some headlines for uh, possible assault. Um, this is taking place at a, a Miami area marina is where this uh, altercation uh, apparently took place over Father's Day weekend. And according to uh, Miami's, I believe uh, Channel 10 is who was reporting, Hill uh, allegedly uh, hit an employee at this marina and then assaulted the man during a dispute based on whatever was taking place that day. So he, he has not made any public comments on this. Rosenhaus is his his agent. And, you know, for all of the, the fun and games that has been brought to Miami, the last thing the Dolphins need is Hill to be caught up in any legal drama and allegations of physical abuse, which also took place uh, earlier in his career. Yeah, and he so he was uh, he had pictures he was posting with Drew Rosenhaus on a boat over the weekend also. Rosenhaus swimming with sharks. Yeah, bad look. I mean, given the guy's history, we'll see what comes out of this, but um, not good. I mean, look, I, I hate to say, you know, uh, the presumption of innocence should always be there, right? But when you do what Tyreek Hill has done, then the presumption of innocence tends to go away when there's repeat claims yeah. against you. Well, and this, that's this, the case here. This guy apparently did not press charges against Hill from the marina. Um, yeah, it, the Dolphins put out a statement saying that they're aware of the situation, like any team would. We're monitoring this as the investigation continues. Um, but we'll see what comes of it. Because there's a history here, I think more people will pay attention to what happens uh, with Hill out of this. It's hard not to pay attention to the PGA Tour and live and, you know, the, the involvement with the Saudi money and whether or not they're going to be allowed to join forces, merge. Let's just say it the way they put it out there. It's a merge. They're merging. Um, people on their board that knew about this, one of the main guys, his specialty is uh, rep as a lawyer representing banks who merge uh, on a massive scale. That's what this is. And now Live and PGA Tour, they're headed to Capitol Hill to discuss this. Tommy Tuberville doesn't want this. He wants them to settle this on their own, away from Washington. But they're headed to Washington based on uh, you know, a curious inquiry being made about who owns what and the monopoly that could be coming from ownership based on Saudi money backing and being the only right now financier that's pumping money into the PGA Tour. And, and if anyone else does, they have right of first refusal, or in this case, a right of approval before anyone involved with the PGA Tour and their board of directors does. And I don't know that it has anything to do with Saudi Arabia and human rights violations when it comes to this and the private investment fund and all of that. I think this is yet another case of Jay Monahan stepping in it because Jay Monahan said a lot of things in the initial release and what he told the media was what we've done is eliminated all competition. We've united golf for the foreseeable future, and I think that some of the things he said that had to be changed and edited out of the initial release in his quotes could have caused a stir that showed this is a monopoly that you formed and this is illegal. But how they have it structured, though, is different than what he was saying. 
because it, again, the the the, the and unification. And maybe they just need to show that now they, is why they're doing this. They, yeah, I think I think so. I think they were very careful in how they phrased the structure because the the unification, the merger, is going to be named something different, and the PGA Tour remains what it is, and it's still tax exempt. I mean, they made sure to put that out there, like it was two separate branches on a tree, but eventually based on the voting power and everyone, eventually we're, they're going to get to some structure and a name of this group where you have Liv and the PGA Tour that come together and form this, this massive tour, so to speak. But that, the way that they structured it, Chad, is almost two different. There's a for-profit and a, non, uh, a not-for-profit entity, which they, they will claim is two separate things, even though it's just legal jargon where lawyers are getting rich. And it'll end up happening anyway because there have been claims like this before with the Saudi-backed fund, and they haven't been stopped in the past. Moral of the story, Hutton, lawyers always get rich. And always. people in Washington who don't even care about the involvement here, which is also a factor. Coming up, Merrill Hodge joins us on Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us for Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow across the Outkick Network. Find us on YouTube, search out Outkick, hit that subscribe button, join us in the chat. Give us a thumbs up if you're enjoying the show, and of course, you can ring the bell. You'll be alerted anytime we go live, 3 o'clock Eastern daily. Can't wait for our next chat here. Merrill Hodge joins us, longtime ESPN analyst. Uh, author, father, and much more. Inspirational speaker now and uh, joins us to talk ball and much more. Merrill, good to see you, man. Hope things are well. Gentlemen, good to be seen. And good to see you guys. Yeah, I like man. that backdrop. Uh, <laughs> same for yours uh, with, with the jersey uh, behind you. Is that Rocky Blyer on your shirt? Yeah, you know yeah. That's, that's good. That's yeah. good. That's my boy, that's my boy Rocky. Rocky. I uh, I like to sh- this is a great T-shirt. Rocky's one of the great legends um, in our military, in the NFL, um, and just in human in human race. The guy's just a just a great dude, man. Great guy, loving. So it's nice that you picked that out. I think that's that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I love it, Merrill. Uh, in in previewing your visit with us, I keep throwing out the the phrase "factor backs" uh, because I think yeah. of that every time I uh, I hear your name. How many factor backs do we have left in the NFL today? Well, that's a good one. And I'm just, I'm thinking three off, you know. Um, so who comes to mind yeah, immediately? You probably, probably got, well, Derrick Henry, obviously, you know. I mean, that guy is a force. Um um, he may not be the biggest factor in the passing game, but he's dangerous enough that you better not sleep on him because that's the last thing you want to do is get that wicked dude on the perimeter with the ball in his hands. And now you, you put him out on people that clearly are a mismatch, um, from a defensive perspective. Um, uh, Chubb in Cleveland, um, Chubb's, you know, he's a, he's a dynamic player. Um, and I think he's probably one of the best runners um, in the NFL. You talk about just a pure, um, good NFL runner. He is he is all of that. You know, those two guys come to mind right off the bat. You know, um, what's interesting about our, our league 
is everybody has um, claimed that like it, it's gone to a, a two back league. And actually that's not true. Um, it's been a two back league for a hundred years. There's only one thing that has actually changed over the last say 40 and that's the formation. You know, traditionally it used to be split backs. So like when the Steelers won Super Bowls and you think about um, Dallas Cowboys, Miami Dolphins, Zonka kick, you know, you got Blyer Harris, um, the split back formation, there was a predominant ball carrier, but then the other guy substituted that. But if the formation allowed both guys to carry the ball, when, when they went to the I formation, it made just one guy a ball carrier and this guy became a blocker. So you couldn't hand it to this guy 40 times. You know, if you're going to run it 40 times, you had to rotate that back. And that people got lost, uh, lost thinking, oh, it's a two-back league. It's always been a two-back league. Um, you need two backs um, in all fa facets of this game. I mean, you always need it to win championships. That phase of your offense has to be a part of it, has to be a critical phase and an important phase. But it needs to be an element to your offense to win a Super Bowl. I mean, I, I, I ask it because I'm watching Dalvin Cook get no interest publicly. You yeah. know, I think he's a factor for any team, but it's just kind of dime a dozen. And I, it's, it's strange to see him on the free agent market and not a, not a visit has been reported to this point, to the fact where he's now trying to team up with DeAndre Hopkins just to create a buzz in free agency. Yeah. It's, it's a bit strange to see where the NFL is at the position. Well, now here's probably the bigger problem. It's not that he's not a dynamic player and he would be, when you look at him, you know, is he a factor in all these different phases? Yes. The price, you know, that, that's, that becomes the problem um, is how much can you and will you invest in a guy based on how much he wants and how much he's going to come play for and how much you think that he is worth. And that actually is the bigger problem. I don't think there's many people that, you know, don't think, hey, Dallin Cook, could really help us. Yeah. Um, Dalvin Cook is a dynamic player. Then it comes down to, and you don't hear this, and in the media people don't talk about this. Well, he wants fifteen million a year, but we only want to give him ten. You know, and so that that right there becomes the problem. You know, um, and when you get a guy, you know, it's, you know, depending on how many touches they've had, you get them. And I can speak to this. You know, I know this: the wear and tear. Or as a runner, the reason that position. Um, has the shortest span as far as a career goes in football is just because of the overall taxing abuse that that you take. You know, when that ball's in your hand, you are a magnet. You are a magnet for 11 other players, and they all want a piece of you. Um, and the more you tote that, the more that you're a part of that. You know, you're uh, at age 30, you're considered very old. You know, and that could be an eight-year-old run. That could be a seven-year run, depending on, you know, how many years you spent in college. And people don't want to get caught being on the back end of a contract and got a guy who's not as productive. Uh, I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but that, oh, that yeah. to me is the bigger issue with Delvin Cook. It's not, hey, can he help us? Oh, yeah, he can help us. But he can help us at $10 million. <laughs> Now, I'm just throwing out random sure, numbers. Yeah. I'm, but I'm getting as a – Lower than what Delvin he wants. Cook is like – yeah, and Delvin's going, well, I do, I, I know I can help you, but I'll help you for 15. <laughs> and so, you know, that that's the that's the unfortunate problem. And you know, um, oh like his name's escaping me right now. The kid that was drafted out of Texas, um Bijan Robinson. Um Deshaun Robinson, okay. Okay, here's a great example. Okay. Teams would take if you had a back like a Dalvin Cook, 
and I could see this being part of what you would do schematically. Okay. Bijan is a true factor back because he's a factor in every phase of football and he's dynamic and he's incredibly different. You're like, you know what? We'll get him on a five-year deal and we'll get rid of Dalvin Cook because we're going to, we think we get a better player, number one, and for a lot less for five years. You know, things that you have to think of things like that. And strategically, those are the things that are thought about from a running back position. You know, it's, um, but I, I don't believe, you know, people go, it's devalued. I do not believe that to be true because if that were the case, Bijan doesn't go in the first round in the top 10 where he went. Okay. When you see somebody that's dynamic and different and unique and can do things on a football field that very few runners can't, you go get that guy. You go get that guy. And he could be a guy, you know, depending on how his first three or four years go, where you will, you'll end up doing a contract early on him. And hopefully you get, you know, an eight, a good eight to 10 year run out of him. So um, it's, I think this position is always misunderstood, you know, because, and this is just an example. I'm not, I mean, I'm just telling you what they did. So that's how teams look. They know when they see a special guy, we're going to go get him because we know what we can do. He can do for a, for, for our football team. And actually, you know, Atlanta has some pretty good runners. They got the kid from BYU last year. who's an absolute thumper, you know, and I, I think they drafted him in the third round, but he's a, he's a good pro runner, but he doesn't have that, that dynamic uniqueness to him where his ability, like in the end, in college, you play on the perimeter that I tell people all the time that the fields are different in college than they are in the NFL. And the people are like, Oh no, it's not. I guess it is. Hash marks are wider in the, in college. And that's why they play on the perimeter. The college game is pretty much always on the perimeter. Um, and that's how college is played. And my guy's better than your guy. That's college football. Now national football league, we move the hash marks in the middle and that's where we're going to play. And my guy's as good as your guy. So it comes down to, you know, scheming, strategies, matchups, and all those type of things. And then dynamic players, people that are, are certainly different than most runners. You know, and Dijon is, was one of those unique dynamic runners um, that you get to see every now and then. You know, every five, six, or seven years, a guy like that comes around. And he will do incredible things for Atlanta. He'll be able to build them in ways that um, a lot of other runners can't. So that's why they went and got him. So it'll be an interesting watch. And I, um, and you have to have that phase. If you're going to win a championship, you have to win that. You have to have that part of the phase because it really goes to the next level. In the NFL, the most important aspect to win consistently is you got to control the tempo. And if you can't control the tempo in the National Football League, you just you struggle winning consistently. You can win some games doing some things, but if you don't have that element – then you really struggle winning consistently. If you do have that element, then you have all these other phases and you can add and complement them, uh, then you got a shot. I'll give you a great example. This is why the Ravens struggle. They control the temple because they run the football and they're going to stop the run. Every game, every team they line up with, I don't care who it is, they got a chance to win. The phase that they have not had consistently to match that is their ability to pass the football in a, in a true profession, in a true pro setting, like a pro style. Um, they do hard run action. They do a lot of misdirection and play action. And that's different phases of the passing game. But when it comes to traditional throwing the ball from a pro style, where you got, you know, we got twins each side and we're running route combinations and reading coverage and we're throwing field, 
he just doesn't do that well. He didn't do it well in college. He's never done it well in the National Football League. And they haven't been able to add that phase. Now, if they had that phase, they probably would have already won a Super Bowl. And this would be an interesting watch this year um, because they're going to ask him to kind of be more of a, a pro-style quarterback. And he's never been able to display that. So it'll be interesting to see if it if it able, it's able to work out because you got new coordinators now, you got new learning. And I'll tell you this from experiencing that, that can be a major hurdle in a guy's career. You've been doing something that really works for you and you're really good at. Now you're going to switch gears and do something that you're actually really not that good at and see if that's going to work. I just, it'll be an interesting watch though. You know, he hasn't played an entire season for three years for a reason. I talked about, it's all started about getting hit. Yeah, and Lamar Jackson's a good segue into what I want to ask you about because Lamar Jackson, in a lot of ways, is a dynamic running back with a good arm that's played quarterback his whole life and has developed into an NFL quarterback. But I look at how the position has devolved over the years. Um, When you grew up and you played, running back was the feature position. It was the sexy position on a team. When I grew up and, you know, playing Tecmo Bowl, I wanted to play with Bo Jackson and not Dan Marino (laughs) because that was the factor in that game, right, was the running back. And that's what kids that were great athletes wanted to play. The best player on your team – your U team would go play running back and not quarterback. That's changed over the years now, and a lot of it is financial, and a lot of it is who's getting the most looks. It's wide receiver, it's quarterback, it's rushing the passer, getting the most money in the NFL, and and sometimes getting the best opportunities in college. If you went back, if you're a player today, Merrill, do you think you end up as a running back throughout your career, or are you also more drawn to another position based on the way the game has evolved? Well, no, actually, based on how I played, I would fit better with this system. Actually, what made what helped me get to the National Football League and make the Pittsburgh Steelers was how well I could play on third down, how well I could run routes, how well I could catch the football, and how well I could identify pressures and pick up blitzes. That's actually what made – I was our starter on third downs. I was our third down back. That's what got me in the league is that I could do that. Well, that's not just third down anymore. That's, you know, sometimes every down, you know, in a lot of scenarios. And I and eventually what I became a starter is like, well, he can run too. Just leave him on the field. That there, you know, that's that saying the more you can do. Well, that's that's ultimately what got me as a starter. Is they're like, well, he runs too, so let's play him on first and second down. And then I just stayed on third down. But I would I would still be, I'd still think of being a runner and a running back in in the era that exists today. Cause I came from one of the, the only college in the country actually in, in the eight, late eighties that was pro style in almost, almost every team was the big sky, even though it's one double a, it was the only conference. I think here's the coaches that came from out of there. Uh, John Fox, uh, dirt cutter, um, uh, Erickson, Dennis Erickson, um, Brian Billick came from Weber state. um, Andy Reid was in BYU, and that's why BYU back in the day would beat some of those high-powered teams because they could throw the football, and other college teams had no concept of that, you know, no matter how big it was. You know, obviously that's, that's changed. That's what gave BYU some of those, those great wins is they're playing they, – teams were playing them that had never seen that. And so um, I'd stay I'd, – I'd probably still be in that position to be honest with you, um, based on my experience as a young player. But God, remember, I mean, you football, we ran the football. We hardly ever threw it. I mean, 
they asked me to play quarterback one year, and I was like, this is terrible. All you do is hand, the, hand it off to the guy I want to be. Yeah, it, yeah, and it's not like today point. where they – yeah, it's like youth football is where things changed. Yeah. Is they started throwing the football there and helping kids at a younger age. It wasn't high school or college. It was really youth football. Merrill, we, we've loved the conversation. We've got to get you back on uh, to dive deeper into love what you're up to now. I know you've got the, the book Brainwashed, which is available, uh, Cancer Survivor, and so much more. Uh, so hopefully uh, in, in the coming days, weeks, you'll, you'll jump back on with us. Anytime, boys. You reach out to me. I'll be there. Available. Love to share some more football with you. We'll, yeah, uh, we'll do it for sure. We Thank you so here. much, Merrill. Appreciate you. All right, gentlemen. Yeah. Be good, guys. Like that shirt, too. Yeah. Keep wearing it. Rocky Blyer. Go, baby. Good man. Merrill Hodge. Uh, yeah. Great dude. Miss him on the, uh, the, in the analyst chair. But he's doing great work there. Voice sounds just the same. It does. LSU fans, they've, uh, they broke a record at the College World Series. Chad's going to ask the question when we come back. Does it really hold much weight based on who's helping break this record? Details next on Hot Mike. Hot Mike rolls on. Hunter Withrow with you. Chad, We're back, at, baby. Final time. segment. Look at that. Look we at did time. it. We were doubted. Celebration. We were doubted. Jubilee. We've been doubted all week, and yet we're here. Love talking with uh, Merrill Hodge. The, um, I love the shirt. Rocky Blyer, American hero, a Vietnam vet, and a Pittsburgh Steeler. Um, I need to get me that T-shirt that he had on. I'm a fan. And he would come on the show quite often whenever he was on Radio Row. Yeah. With us, Rocky Blyer. Rocky Blyer, if I recall, Hutton... One of the guests that we've had on radio that we had to, he cussed one time, I remember. Just telling the story. Not just once. He did it multiple times? Whenever he wanted. Yeah. Hey, the man served our country. I wasn't telling him not to cuss on our show. So we just kept going. Rocky made the rules. We had that dump button ready to go. It was being hit very liberally during that interview. Right. Um, Look, one, one thing's for certain, too. LSU is going to win the Jello Shot competition at the College World Series. But Chad, you sent a text over the weekend, or not at the weekend, last night, over the night, where the, the tally, I mean, it's, it's a landslide victory for LSU Tigers fans at this bar in Omaha. It's a great promotion by the bar on who can buy the most jello shots. And LSU Tigers fans in a landslide. I and mean, it's like 30,000, and like second place is like 13,000 or something total. I, I find nothing more both sad and funny than a, a heterosexual man taking a jello shot. Um, they're disgusting. What about a heterosexual man buying 14 jello shots because they're with a group of girls taking of, them? Of girls, women, whatever that are That's there. That's fine. Plus, I mean, they, it's a it's a cheers that everyone will do because the girls will also do it that you're with. Look, it's very effeminate. Okay, that, that's that's what it is, right? We're we're all about gender identity. I think uh, that's everybody why wants a guy to talk about it, it all though. the time. It's very very effeminate. So I don't think I've ever purchased a Jello shot. No, of course not. It's been handed to me at cookouts. And, and you take it? Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> that doesn't make them any less disgusting, but I will take them because you know it's it's yeah whatever. Right? Yeah. But it, to <laughs> brag about it like it's some huge achievement it, yeah. for your university. Because the guy who founded Raising Cane's Chicken, I don't think they're bragging. I think they're just like yeah, the bar's the one bragging. They're getting the promotion. 
We're the just, one writing a story about it. Going, but everybody's writing the story. And it's I not know. just us. It's just it's brilliant by Rocco's. It's a great promotion for the bar. There's not but a guy. There's not a guy posing is, with the I'm with the with the tally. Going, it's a woman. If I'm going to Omaha, I'm not going to this bar and taking insane amounts of Jello shots and then acting like th- this is like one of the greatest things to ever happen to our university because we're going to win the Jello shot competition. I find them disgusting. Uh, not a jello really? shot guy. They like the stick texture? around your gums and teeth for a while. Oh. Uh, it's just not good. Have I you think, ever tried to make them? I do think they no, taste good. I have not. I think they taste good. I would rather be liquefied. I, and like, I, would take jo- that I like Jolly Ranchers, though. Do you like Jolly Ranchers? No. So I, think, I don't. I think it's. I'm not a fruity candy guy. I'm a chocolate candy guy. Like, if given the option, I'm going to so, take every chocolate, caramel, peanut butter type concoction. Okay. Over anything that's fruit based or fruit tasting. What if they had like a peanut butter Jello shot? You would take that. The Jello with Ugh. the savory of the peanut coffee butter flavored. slash chocolate does not coffee flavored really get my juices. I'm trying. Going. I'm trying to think. You got sti- to stick with. Uh, fruit and by the way, Chad, Chad has admitted like if you bring him like a, a raspberry Jello shot or a green apple Jello shot, he will take it. Well, if it's like you know the host went out of their way to make them, and I want to don't want to make them feel bad. Then yeah, I'll take the Jello shot to make them. Oh, this is so delicious, and really I hate it. Uh, it's something for women. Jello shots are for women. That, uh, guys should probably refrain. There's not a lot of good things that comes out of a guy, you know, putting the roof of their mouth all over the Jello shot and trying to get the last bit out in front of everyone. It's usually not a great look. You got to use your finger first. It's better than a Tour de France, though. It's a straw theory that I've talked about, right? <laughs> I'm with you on the straw theory. You get Explain a drink. If, you, if your drink has alcohol in it, you get a mixed drink with somewhere. With a straw in it. The, the bartender will always put a straw in it. That's fine. That's the option they give you. Take you the straw Use my out. pencil as a, as a straw in your Take cup. The, yeah, here we go. I got an there empty cup here. Look. Explain what you do. You get handed the drink with a straw in it at the bar if you are a man you take the straw out and you place the straw on the bar. You hurl and you it. You sip the you drink. Throw it. Chad throws you throw it. Throw it away. You throw it at the bartender if they dare to give it to you. Right. And you sip the drink like a man, because as I, I need the camera again one more time. You sip. As my older cousin once told me when I was 21 and going to bars for the first time, I probably had some that's sort a of, lie. You know, seven and seven or something terrible that I was ordering at the time at the bar, and I had a drink with a straw. Then I was talking to him and I was sucking the drink through the straw. Like so. And my cousin said, now imagine you're making eyes with a very attractive woman across the bar. And you keep looking at her and you're flirting from across the bar. And she sees you do one of these where you take the drink and you start slurping through the straw (laughs) as you're making eye contact with her. I bet Davey uses a straw. I want to thank my cousin David, who actually told me this. Not Davey, but David. Because from that day forward, I vowed I would never drink through a straw while drinking uh, anything other than a milkshake ever again. And Hutton, sorry about getting your pencil wet. That's fine. I have done just that. Don't I, use I a like straw. that Chad was so into this, he put this in his mouth. Yeah. The best milkshakes you need a spoon I have been to a eat anyway. Skin, by the way. What now? The best milkshakes you need a spoon to eat anyway. Yeah, that's true. I like a spoon and a straw for a good, thick Davey, malt or milkshake. Uh, on your date night this weekend, mm. order something with a straw, remove it, throw it, and you've won her over. Yeah. Just saying. Duly noted. We need to like have uh, a poll question just for women that are watching or listening. Uh, do you prefer your guy to drink through a straw or not when drinking an alcoholic beverage? What would be your pre- – do you like watching your man I, my uh, guess eat would a Jello be, shot I think immediately the guess would be no, uh, that they're going to vote no. They don't enjoy that. But I think if, we you had, ask uh, it, if you ask it without clarifying the drink portion of it, it's – 
It's like they uh, they were in a fight or something, and they have their mouth wired shut. Yeah, David Answers says no. it's okay to have a pina colada with the umbrella. I'm That's saying fine. you sip that pina colada, though. Yeah. He's talking about the straw. Well, sometimes you can't, though. Sometimes it's just the top of it's ice. Our resident female, Allie, it, in the YouTube chat said Chad earlier. Chad is discussing a vodka soda or a, a Jack and Coke. Yeah, or That's what he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, they're not going to give you, like, if you buy, get, like, whiskey neat, you know, they're not going to give it to you with a straw. You're going to sip that. But any type of mixed drink that you get. if it's or a, a Coke. If it's a whiskey and Coke. Yeah. Just take the straw out and drink it like a man. Yeah, bourbon and branch. Uh, Allie in the YouTube chat earlier said there's nothing sexier than a clean car. Uh, so we're putting the, the Batman signal out for Allie also. Your thoughts on men drinking out of straws? Let I won't know. use a straw. What are your thoughts on me getting a mojito? Davey, do you like Jello shots, first off? No, but the big time I've used them has been whenever I've, I'm at Talladega and at the infield for the concert. And one time, you know, sometimes it just pays to be a nice guy. Some guy dropped a cooler, and this was thing, this thing was probably about six sorry. feet wide. I, I'm just imagining you coming uh, back to the tailgate with like six jello shots. I'm imagining uh, it was more than that. They, having so many jello shots, his mouth is like green. Uh, they, the jello shots. There were so many jello shots that spilled out. Uh, me and another friend helped them put those back in. They're like, take as many as you want. So we had probably about 15 people with us back at the campground. And I mean, when I say I am carrying like 40 things of Jello shots just back at the campground, it was it was awesome. Granted, I mean, I, I think I blacked out before I got back to the campground, so I don't know what happened to did. them, but it was a good time. When is Talladega? Uh, it's every April and October, I believe. Can we go with you to Talladega and document this at some point? I'm trying to avoid it, man. A lot of sins happen there. Going back to Eastbound and Down. Oh my God. Remember the episode where Kenny Powers' buddy shows up with a silver face? And he said he made a reference to RoboCop where he was huffing something with the homeless guy. I picture Davey having a mouth that's green like that from Jello Shots when he just emerges from the pit and the crowd at Talladega for no reason other than he's just taking a bunch of Jello Shots. Man. Yes, you can have a mojito, Davey. I, cool. I judge it based on the glass it's poured in after it's made. I don't want anything I have to hold like a wine glass unless it's wine. Big Red in the YouTube chat says, this is why I only drink beer, because there's one rule. Drink the beer. Yeah. Tap the Rockies. That's good. That's right. Which type of beers can I drink? Anything you want. <laughs> Cold beer. Drink uh, the number one beer in America now, Modelo. <laughs> That's uh, what you should drink. Chad, how did you de describe LSU fans buying Jello shots? That's how we describe anyone that's trying to contemplate whether or not they can drink beer or not. Right. Yeah. Uh, look, if you are really into Jello shots, then have at it. You know, have a huge party. Go to this bar. Take as many Jello shots as possible. But what I don't want are men bragging about their Jello shot intake and talking about it as a point of pride with their fan base that they won the Jello shot competition. Now LSU may go on to win the baseball competition and they be might. national champions. That's something worth bragging about. Way more than Jello shots. They they may go on to do that. Um, you know what's better than Jello shots? Shot shots. Yeah, but just take the shot. I guess the Jello shot is a little less harsh. Well, you can do the Jello shots in the school colors, which is what they do. I mean, again, it's a gimmick for the bar, and it's brilliant. It's their one, one time, two week. This is their, this is their Black Friday rolled in, <laughs> and Christmas Day rolled into. Do you think that this bar just shuts down every other two weeks of the year, other than they just open for the College World Series? This guy says, you know what? It's a lot more cost-effective if I just open this bad boy for two weeks and we blow it out and then we just hibernate for the next 50 weeks of the year. 
Maybe they do that. Maybe they leave this board up until the next year. Maybe that's part of it. But like, no. To what you're saying, though, the other the other fan bases just don't. They just give up. If we can zoom in on the numbers, it's like twenty nine thousand to. I think the next best is Florida. And like, is it eighteen or thirteen? I can't read uh, that far away. But the yeah, it's it is a landslide victory. TCU for is at what three thousand six hundred and something. Yeah. Again, some fan bases just gave up, even though TCU was playing today. Yeah, Stanford's dead last. No, uh, Virginia, 636. Stanford, 759. Virginia was the first team eliminated. Yeah. And, you know, hats off to Cavalier fans who also don't like jello shots, probably. They probably found a better place to go. Well, do you think when the guy from Raising Cane's bought all those jello shots, they actually gave those out? Because, I mean, 6,000, that's a lot just to give out. Or you think it's more of a. Just all right. We're gonna mark this on the ca- on the uh, whiteboard and go from there. I, it's an interesting question. Like, how to administer six thousand shots? Do you just somehow put that on a tab and any LSU fan that orders one is free? Anyway. Yeah, but I'm saying I don't know what they cost. But are they free for the next six thousand people or six thousand shots? Or do you just start putting hundreds of shots out at a time for all the LSU fans of the bar and saying, "Here are your Jello shots." This guy bought 6,000 of them. We'll keep them coming when these are gone. And anyone can just go and grab them. A question earlier. Hun's in LSU purple today. I am. To follow this up, because I was thinking about uh, former LSU head coach Nick Saban. Uh, Is college football heading in the right direction? Was the poll question on the Outkick YouTube channel. With over 100 votes, we are dead tied at 50%. Yes, 50%. No. Saban would vote either way and still win. That is when you know you ask the right question, when you can get it divided down the line, 50-50. And those that vote yes like me, I still hesitate on yes. But I, I, I say yes on the fan aspect of the 12-team playoff and where we are in the court system where everyone's afraid to be sued. And it's, it is what it is. We're headed in a direction where, Chad, we're going to see agents, agencies, and eventually a, 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 a representation, a union. Yeah, they will be independent contractors. They'll be labeled that by the, by the colleges. That will happen. Uh, not employees. And they, there will be a player union for the haves and have-nots. I think there will be a clear line of demarcation, a break-off. And the teams that are in this group will police themselves based on a commissioner that will control all things football. I think the NCAA will fight Tooth and nail for the NCAA basketball tournament. Everything else yeah, I, is, is you can step up and control it right now if you're Greg Sankey. Yeah, I said no only because of the unknown. Like, I don't know. I, kn- I don't know what's next. I know it's changing. And I just love it so much right now that I'm afraid that it won't be for the better. Maybe wrong. I'm not fully committed to it being not being changed for the best. But because that uncertainty, I can't say yes, that I know it's being changed for the better. I like the playoff better. There's always going to be flaws. The expanded playoff needs to continue to expand. You know, so, you know, the the 20 coaches that are making 8 million plus, we can have 30 instead of 20. Hutton, there wasn't a single flaw of this show today. Not a one. Flawless. That's how they'll describe this show years from now. Flawless. Also flawless getting out right on time. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Back at it tomorrow, 3 o'clock Eastern, right here on YouTube. See ya.